0: I really got started in the bigger mountains like Everest about the same time I started my first advertising agency in New Zealand, and it was interesting that there were a lot of parallels, both in climbing to the top of the world um, without oxygen and with a small team of people, as well as starting up a new company in far away in the wonderful land of New Zealand. From there, I went on, and I really wanted to set my sights a bit higher. Obviously, you couldn't go much higher, but with goals, you always want to... Improve on them. So I went out to do the, the remaining of the seven summits of the world and completed the next six on the list solo and was the first person to do that. And then I moved more recently into guiding and have been taking teams up to the top with a mix of the leadership skills, the building the team, and then dealing with obviously a lot of challenges along the way with larger groups. And I've just finished writing my fourth book, Nine Lives Expeditions to Everest. And that uh, I've been working on those promotions, both digitally and with Faraway TV interviews and even the occasional podcast.
1: That's Robert Mads Anderson. He's worked all over the world as an executive creative director at agencies like Ogilvy, FCB, Digitas and many others. He's also done things most humans do not and obviously has lived to tell about them. And I'm Mark Hartzman, another ad guy, as well as the author of seven books, an occasional hiker of the Rocky Mountains. And right now, your host of Besides Ads, a podcast about the remarkable things people in advertising do outside of advertising, like Robert Anderson.
2: Just because we make ads doesn't mean we just make ads. Besides ads with Mark Hartzman.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Robert. Uh, You've clearly had some really incredible adventures, um, and I've got so many questions about it. But let's just start with a little background. How did the guy who writes ads get into climbing the world's most challenging mountains in the first place? Or is the question, how did the mountain climber get into advertising?
0: I have to say that the mountains probably came first growing up in Colorado and starting out as a rock climber and just carrying on from there. But it was pretty much around that same time when I was also writing a lot and realized that was something that I really enjoyed. It didn't really matter what kind of writing it was, long, short. I think I published my first article when I was 19 before I'd ever really started in advertising. And I think when I went through and did a degree, which I did in writing, I didn't even understand the profession or really knew that there was such a thing as somebody called a copywriter. So that was a bit of a, a, bit of a development when I moved out into the business world to find there was something that I could do that would actually pay me for doing something that I really loved.
1: That's definitely a good perk of advertising. Well, let's talk about your goal to be the first person to climb the highest mountain on every continent solo. What made you decide that you had to be that first person?
0: Well, I'd been out and uh, done the new route on Everest with a very small team. And I'd reached the south summit, which is just 100 meters, about 300 feet vertically below the top, probably an hour away. But I probably would have died up there if I'd carried on. So I'm glad in retrospect, we've not done that. (laughs) And after that, I thought, what do I do next? And I went over and looked at the lowest kind of peak in the world. I was living in New Zealand at the time, uh, Mount Kosciuszko in Australia. And even though I did it in winter, and it was actually the only one of the seven summits I really had to go back to again, besides Everest to solo it because of the storms that were there, it had an amazing Sense of the earth and of a continent as I stood on top of it all seven and a half thousand feet of it or so and looked out across it So I really kind of started to dream there and then over the next year and a half Kind of carried on doing the rest of the peaks
1: when you're climbing a mountain like Everest and you're doing it with no oxygen How do you train for that? Like how do you build up to be able to not die?
0: I think physiologically, you just have to be a bit lucky that you have the right kind of lungs and body and physiology to go that high. Um, Before the first people climbed without oxygen, they'd kind of done the numbers on it and said it's probably impossible. And since then, it's probably 1% of the people that have made it to the top have been up there without oxygen. Um, The way you train is probably the best thing to do is a lot of climbing. I think more recently, there's been new ways. And I was looking at, I was going to guide Everest again this year. And I've just started work with a company called AeroFit, which can actually train your lungs to increase your your kind of the liters that you can carry into oxygen and how much you can inhale and exhale. So it's an interesting method. Of there's new ways to actually do that. You know, get a bit fitter.
1: And so while you're doing this, I mean, all these you know tall summits on on every continent and Everest and lean expeditions, does doubt ever creep into your mind? I mean, especially when you're going solo, like how does that? mental challenge compared to the physical challenge and how do you not worry about something going wrong and what's that <laughs> i'm just trying to imagine your mental state at that point it's it's incredible
0: yeah i i think the worry is you know an integral part of it and that's a sign that you either need to plan more prepare more or get ready you know and it's a good warning sign that not that you're not necessarily doing the right thing because i think we all you know if we're bright at all or have certain fears and things we worry about which is a sign We should think about it a bit more, do it a bit differently, um, train a bit harder. Um, And sometimes it's something where you need to turn around. You know, I tried to solo Everest three times and I, in a harsh way, failed miserably. Oh, I got to 8,400 meters, so up pretty high. But I just knew if I carried on, I wasn't going to, you know, get up to the top and get down again alive. So in a sense, you know, those fears are then borne out. and It's almost harder sometimes to come back and then have to go up again. But that's kind of a very much something you have to balance out, both, I think, in climbing and in advertising. Sometimes if you have a new concept and you have a new direction that hasn't really come out before, and those are the ones that really break through, as you know, Mm -hmm. it's selling that in and getting it uh, out into the marketplace can be the hardest thing ever to do.
1: (laughs) For sure. That's always a challenge. While you're climbing, too, I mean, you mentioned the books um, in your introduction, but your books are, you're not just writing, you're also doing photography. On your climbs, so I'm I'm kind of curious when you're doing that because you're you're not shooting with an iPhone or something like that. You're shooting with some serious equipment, right? Does that extra equipment add to the challenge? Wh- what's that process like?
0: Um, yeah, it definitely adds to the challenge. I was fortunate when I did the seven summits. I was sponsored by Olympus, so I had a couple of very nice lightweight titanium camera bodies and a sheath of lenses that I had to edit down as I went higher and higher on the mountain. But and i, I realized very early on that when I was selling articles and giving slideshows that it didn't matter so much what I wrote or what I said. If you didn't have the pictures to kind of lead the story, it wasn't going to happen. And even when we came off of Everest, uh, one of my friends wrote an article for Sports Illustrated about it, and they really didn't want to see what he'd written. They wanted to see the photographs. They said, we know it's big, but can you give us an idea of the scale? And we had probably four or five photographs that then went in as either full-page spreads or double-page spreads even in Sports Illustrated. And that got us out to the mass market. So concentrating and um, shooting the right photos was actually kind of integral to the adventure. And even now, I just actually got a new iPhone, and the quality of that is really quite amazing. So I am shooting a lot of pictures on my iPhone, perhaps for another book. But, um, yeah, you have to have that visual, and you have to have even more so nowadays video, in order to kind of mm-hmm. sell the story in there.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it's a little bit easier without iPhone. Can, can you describe the feeling of reaching the top of these summits? I mean, what's it like to stand there just by yourself in these places that, that very few humans have ever set foot?
0: Um, I think the most memorable one for me is probably in Mount Vincent in Antarctica. Although the first time I got to Everest, there was nobody else up there either, which was quite nice. I kind of stomped around on top for 20 minutes by myself. And that was phenomenal. But in Antarctica... I was on my own for 20, 30 hours at a time, even though we went down with a group of nine people. I did. I soloed two new routes, um, which is the only time that Vincent has really been soloed. New routes have been done on it and they still haven't been repeated again. So that's that's kind of cool as well. And year one, it's it's a phenomenal experience to be on the earth, basically almost by yourself in a sense and not be able to see anybody else. But it's also incredibly frightening, obviously, that there's nobody around and there's nothing out there that's going to help you. But with that realization also comes a certain sense of confidence, which I think really can't be matched in any other activity, hardly on this earth, anyway, Of being out there alone, but still being completely in control and feeling comfortable with your surroundings. So it's kind of a whole mix of emotions wrapped around that sense of confidence and kind of the delight in the views and yourself when being on top of on top of a continent or on top of the world.
1: Yeah, I'm sure just like anything, with each success, you're just growing more and more confident.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's a really interesting one because we, we had a good friend, um, and he was a phenomenal climber, and he talked about that, and he'd been up a route in the Alps called the Eiger, North Face, I think 80-plus times. And he was like, the first 82 times aren't the dangerous ones. It's when I decide to do it for the 83rd time, and I think it's easy. And it's a sport that you can never, ever let your guard down. And sadly, he died um, up in the Everest area shortly after that. But uh, so you, you have to always kind of be on your guard. And if anything, the experience has to be balanced with the idea that it's new and it's different. And that's what I enjoy about paragliding, too, is you can get up there and you can fly. But it's absolutely you know it's a very much of a knife edge thing you have to make the right decisions and do them at the right time and everything is new every time so you're always thinking about it so you balance the experience with the ability to learn fast and have a new perspective about everything you're doing
1: when you climb these mountains when like when you set out to to climb a new mountain or to take another trip how long is that preparation process like is this like months of preparation or what's what's that process like?
0: Um, For a big peak, and I think it was probably harder when you organize your own expeditions. When I did the, uh, the Everest expedition that I led and put it all together and raised the money for and everything, it took me about a year and a half. I went into Beijing probably in September, October. And then the next spring rolled around and then the next summer and the next winter. And then finally the year after that, we actually got over and got onto the mountain. So a year and a half, sometimes maybe two years. Um, and then other times, you know, more recently on one of the Everest expeditions I did, somebody emailed me in February and said, our lead guide's not going to be able to do it. Are you around? And I was like, Oh, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to quit now <laughs> for my advertising job. And uh, so I did kind of stacked up and did, you know, Everest, another 8,000 meter peak called Choyo U, and then finally on to Makalu, which is another one right across from Everest. So it was just too good an opportunity to miss. Wow.
1: And when you lead these groups, like how many people are in a group and and how experienced are they?
0: Um, and it, it can vary quite a lot, Mark. It can be, you know, at times I've had very small groups of just a couple of people. Um, if we're walking and trekking, we used to take 12 to 14 or 15. The last time I did Denali, we had six of us, I think. And then on Everest, we've usually had 10 to 12 people as as clients and maybe one or two guides, sometimes more. But you can also have a lot of support people when. I did a group to Everest, and it was the 50th anniversary. And that was actually when I was working at FCB in New York and happily got a few months off from our good friend Brendan Ryan. Thank him. And uh, went out there, and we had the 10 or 12 climbers, what was it, whatever it was. We had another 15 to 20 Sherpas. We had a camp crew, and then there were three treks that came in with 12 to 15 people each which I was marginally looking after from base camp. And then we had a BBC film crew that came in at the end of the expedition who wanted to interview us and kind of take footage and shoot it because it was the 50th anniversary. So in the end, there was something like, you know, including porters, Sherpas, staff, and groups, it was six or 700 people involved. So they're, they're pretty big operations on the logistical side.
1: Yeah. It's unbelievable. Speaking of big operations, let's take a quick ad break, just 60 seconds or maybe more to actually talk about ads. Robert, what ad or ad campaign that you've worked on was the most meaningful and maybe even offered a similar thrill that mountain climbing has?
0: Um, I can give you two examples. And partly it was they were because the clients were fantastic. And one was BMW, which ah. I worked on. One, obviously, phenomenal product. I drove a whole range of their cars and I'm a very keen motorcyclist. So
1: I worked on them for about 10 years. I loved it.
0: Yeah, every every kind of motorcycle they had in the showroom i had to go test drive before i could possibly write a decent ad about it that's awesome and um so that was fantastic but it was just and this was when i was based in new zealand but we also got to work with a very strong and talented um creative group in london a guy named robin white who was a one of the great creative directors in the uk at the time um, working directly with him and certainly that work was fantastic and we were partnered up with a man who's Um, was with Ogilvy for a long time, but in between he kind of went out and, uh, worked with some uh, kind of ex-Ogilvy people, a man named Neil French. And he used to come down and help us out on the ads. And certainly that was kind of a great chance to have a partnership with both great talent in London and in Singapore and mentorship there. It also had people who were really enthusiastic. It had a client who was willing to look at and, you know, approve new work. So that was a fantastic campaign. You know, it was really joy to work on.
1: That's great. Yeah, BMW was really a fantastic client. I, my favorite work has been you know with that client. Um, and great products. A lot of fun driving those cars for sure.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. The research is like absolutely essential.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was just going to give one more. I love ad breaks. They're my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Go for I'm it. I even have them to my shows. But I was going to give. I it was on the other side of it. My my probably my. Biggest and best sponsor, if you can have favorites, has been Rolex watch, who I've worked with kind of off and on for 40 years. And they did a number of print campaigns featuring myself, three, three or four print campaigns and a TV commercial. And we had a chance to work direct with them. And, you know, they'd show them to me and I'd approve the copy and stuff. And it was great to work on the other side with another great brand, phenomenal products. Um, have a great personal relationship with Roland Bhutan, who was the chairman of the North American office for many, many years and to work at that level. But as a somebody who's being featured and seeing kind of the steps are going through what you want to put in the ads. And then, you know, literally one of them, we shot the entire thing. The cameraman that I was climbing with, he shot the entire thing, in the TV commercial, which ran for a very long time in Antarctica when I was down there climbing. So I, I got to see the whole advertising realm from kind of both sides as both a an advertiser and a copywriter and then also as a kind of a mix of being a client and a personality featuring in some of the work that was done
1: that's very cool that's a great experience to have okay we'll be right back with more of robert anderson after this real ad well sort of real
2: ghosts are everywhere whether you believe in them or not Every town has its local legends, and countless books, movies, and TV shows are haunted by their presence. But our obsessions with ghosts runs deeper than we know and is embedded in the very fabric of American history. In his new book, Chasing Ghosts from Quirk Books, writer and historian Mark Hartsman dons the mantle of Tour Guide, taking readers on a fascinating journey through supernatural history, including the Fox sisters and the rise of spiritualism, the supernatural obsessions of famous figures like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, famous haunted sites like the Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia and the LaLaurie House in New Orleans, and famous ghosts like the Bell Witch of Tennessee and the Greenbrier Ghost of West Virginia. Deeply researched and highly entertaining with archival images and black and white illustrations, chasing ghosts will satisfy believers and skeptics alike. Available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and independent booksellers everywhere. This is a story about a model boy scout. He won all the medals. And a cool scout master.
1: Being cool is code for getting high.
2: And then there was a gunshot. And everything changed.
1: A solid friendship they were pals. Chuck said numerous times that Richie was like a son to him.
2: Until betrayal led to
1: violence. I pray to God that that's not Richie. A bizarre mechanism
2: causes a tragic
1: death. So this was a booby trap and it was lethal.
2: Please join us for season one of the Miami Chronicles booby trap. Subscribe now wherever
1: you get your podcasts. So, Robert, I remember when I first started at FCB many years ago, I was told that you would take a month off, or maybe it was more every year, to lead an expedition up Mount Everest. I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like going to be an interesting guy to work with. So you would do that, and you mentioned that earlier. What was it like? Like, How did those expeditions impact your work when you came back? So you you take off this time from FCB, and then it's like, okay, I'm going back to the office after this incredible adventure. What did that feel like and and how did that impact how you approached your job?
0: Um, It could be quite challenging. And I remember uh, an expedition I came back with from Everest and my partner at the time, we kind of went out to lunch. He says, Robert, I know there's not an an avalanche coming down the hill right now, but you might want to pretend it is because we need to buckle down and get some of this stuff done. You know, and obviously it's like I wasn't quite as clear or as focused as I should have been. And he was kind of very upfront about like, you know, let's sit down and write some ads. And I said, OK, I got it. <laughs> it might not be an avalanche, but in terms of business, it is an avalanche and we need to get back to work here. Um, I think certainly one of the areas that was very impactful was both in working with advertising teams and working with climbing teams, which are dissimilar in terms of physicality and goals, but. In terms of uh, mental outlook, particularly when you're doing a new route, it's it's very creative. Um, it takes a lot of focus. You have to be a bit fearless, and you have to be willing, particularly if you're doing bigger mountains and you want to sell the idea to a sponsor and actually get some money so you can go off and climb something. Um, you have to be very good at actually selling the the product, whether it be. A bar of soap, a Rolex watch, or a very large mountain and a bit of a dream. So it was, there was a lot of kind of corollaries between the different professions in many ways.
1: Yeah, I love that. It's like all these same principles apply no matter what you're doing if you want to do it well.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Did leading these expeditions turn you into a better leader at the office?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think vice versa because I had, you know, the, the business leadership was, um, You know, we were mostly most of what I've done is I've been in startup agencies. I've been in big groups. But a lot of times it's been more of almost you need to come in and introduce direct marketing or you need to bring on more digital. Or in one case, it was like, okay, we've got the digital. We need to be able to do ads because our clients really trust us and we have no idea what to do with a print ad. And. Or even a TV commercial. Well, really. it's like God. It's they're they're really long. so like 30 seconds. <laughs> I, like, okay, I, I think we can do this. It's, thinking is the same. It's just kind of how we execute on it. So yeah, there's been been a lot of corollaries between the two, which have certainly helped, I think. And you you bring those things back from both sides of the equation. I think that the thing about Everest expeditions, which are or even any expedition, makes it simple: is you have a common goal, which there's no doubt about. And a lot of time in advertising, you don't have a common goal. You have a, you know, perhaps a brand manager that wants to do one thing and a creative director who kind of wants a different direction and an account director who wants you to get it done as soon as you can. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and a looming TV schedule and a media buy, which doesn't necessarily kind of suit what you want. So a lot of it is kind of the diplomacy of working out the best approach and putting that together. And there's some diplomacy in mountain climbing, but in general, It's like, we all want to get to the top, and how do we do that?
1: Yeah, you just kind of created a a real mental image of lots of different paths trying to go some different directions with advertising. And then mountain climbers, like, no, we're going this way, and this is the way it's going to be so we can get to the top, right? This is to reach the goal. You know, a lot of people, obviously in the ad industry, a lot of people find the ad industry to be very stressful. Um, Lots of pressure, like you said. There's media dates to meet and, and, you know, satisfying clients and keeping everybody happy and keeping the business uh, going and growing. Uh, but surely this kind of stress and pressure is nothing compared to facing a mountain, you know, where, where that one wrong move can cost you your life, uh, which is certainly much worse than costing you your job. So I can imagine that that kind of really puts things in perspective. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. But then also did coming back to work at the, after all that, seem a bit relaxing. I think you kind of touched on that for a minute, but what's what's that experience like?
0: Yeah, I think advertising is, I, I think it's a very stressful profession in general. It's just stress in a different way. And like you say, it's like, well, it's not going to kill me, but I might lose my job. It's, it's pretty grim thinking about that. And certainly it's a profession where occasionally it's like that. Um, I think I was fortunate that early on in my career, I met a few people who, pretty much outlined this is what it's like to work in advertising. And I started in you know, the South Pacific working down in Australia and New Zealand and we had people coming in from Asia. And at the same time, they said, as much as there's ups and downs, if you kind of leverage the ups and downs of the profession, um, you can really make the most of it by moving to different offices, by going to different countries. You know, a lot of the multinationals in the world are bigger than you know some countries. And the opportunities then to move around and do things and staying ahead of what's going on can be really good. So as much as there's stress in, oh, shoot, this is going to change and I might lose my job. It's like, okay where's the where's the next job and what can I do about this? And I was I was so fortunate to realize that early on. And then in between times, of course, I had something I really wanted to do, which while it never paid the way advertising paid, um, it was certainly if you're guiding Vincent and you're guiding in you have your own private trips or you're going up to Everest, you know, you're doing pretty well. So um, it works out pretty good. I think that the stress when you come back into the office is you really have to change gears quite quickly. I remember when I was in FCB, they hired somebody to look after kind of my portfolio of clients when I was there. And, he, you know, you hope, oh, I hope he does OK and he hope he keeps things ticking over. And he didn't really. Which was great when I got back because everybody was really happy to see (laughs) me. Relief, (laughs) and they're like, "I'm like, oh, good, you know, I could be here for a few more years. This will be perfect." (laughs) Um, And that that worked out really well. Um, At the same time, it is challenging, but it it seems like a lot of people have, you know, moved from one job to the next, either by choice or by not. And fortunately, in between those times, I always had the chance to to basically go climbing, and usually with something big. And sometimes it was to the point where I would be, you know, I fulfilled my contract and I need to get out of here and things are going well, but they can't be going well that long. You could kind of see the pictures and the writing on the wall. I was fortunate that I grew up in a family where my father was in finance. And so I understood numbers pretty well, too, which people didn't expect creative directors to know. And you could just see this curve of, oh, the agency is not doing so good. What are we going to do? Oh, these people are really expensive. You know, let's fire all of them, which is usually creative directors and managing directors and all the rest of us. Once we kind of fired the people that we were supposed to, then they'd move up to us. And then they'd look around the agency would continually go downhill and they'd think, oh, my God, we're about to hit rock bottom. What are we going to do now? What are the successful agencies doing? Oh, my God, they have star creative directors and they have really talented managing directors with good uh, client relationships. And then they'd have to turn around a year later, another agency, whatever, and hire us all back again for twice the amount of money. (laughs) And you had to understand that basic cycle or, you know, you'd just be killed by the industry. And fortunately, I kind of worked that out when I was in my 20s and thought, you know, yes, it's a great, great industry. I love writing. I love the communications. I like working with creative people. The challenge of, you know, putting brands on paper was always something that I never considered a lesser art. And I've always really enjoyed it, but you really had to be able to move and sway and swim as uh, different things happen within the industry.
1: Yeah, that's all really good advice. And continuing on that theme, as someone who's achieved such extraordinary goals in your mountain climbing career, in your advertising career, what would you say to creatives or really anybody in advertising about reaching their goals, whether they're in the industry or outside of it?
0: Well, I think a lot of times people say, Oh, you should have a goal and you should do this, you should do that. A lot of times it's kind of what you're doing is what's important. <laughs> I'm very much on, you know, what what's happening right now. Perhaps it was I think it was easier for me. I always wanted to be a writer, whether it be writing books, writing ads, you know, and I wanted to be a climber and I wanted to climb mountains. So putting those both together, it was relatively easy. So the advice of, of follow your dreams, is like, well, basically your dream is happening right now or it isn't. <laughs> and you can either do something about it or you can't. And I think part of the, the important thing in advertising is to balance it out and understand it's a harsh industry. But with risk comes reward and it can be amazingly rewarding. You know, you look at the great campaigns that could be created. You know, I still go back and look at things that, you know, like the things I did that won awards and the things that other people do that are still doing well out there, um, years after years and people who can sing jingles that they never imagined. You know, I went back to New Zealand 20 years after I left and it seemed like they were still playing this kind of song that we'd written for radio like a hundred years before. I was like, you gotta be <laughs> kidding me. I need to move on. But you know, they'd up the lyrics and stuff like that a bit, but basically it was the same tune. Um, and that's quite cool to see. Um, I think the advice is you really got to love it. You know, it's whether you're going to want to climb mountains or whether you want to write ads or whether you want to, you know, I really enjoy the kind of nip and tuck and moving, changing field of social media. It's, you know, how do you get messages out and how do you work with that and kind of marrying it with the digital technology. It's a fantastic place that it's in right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of the things I've loved about the changing technology is the new creative challenges it it offers, you know. And and that started when I started working with you at FCB. We were like the early days of interactive at that point. And so it's been fun just figuring out smart ways to use new technologies from social media and whatever else comes up, different platforms, and like, okay, what's a interesting, clever way to use this? It's not just gratuitous, but smart for the clients and their goals.
0: Yeah, and just, yeah, Mary, putting it all together.
1: Yeah. Well, what's your next challenge? I'm thinking a Robert Anderson movie is a pretty good idea. Free Solo <laughs> was amazing, and... You seem like you should be next. <laughs> Any thoughts well, on, on what's what
0: next? I've sold my latest book. It's doing well in New Zealand. It's doing, I think, even better in the UK. Um, we sold a French edition, and that's going to be published and out in September. So consequently, I'm learning French as fast as I can, because I really have a dream of going to Chamonix and doing a book launch, which is where the publisher has one of, their, one of their stores. And I'm also, I was going to Guyton Everest this year, but a lot of my clients were from the UK, so that's not possible. But I've got both a climb of Kilimanjaro planned in August, and then I'm going to another um, quite tall – well, in the Himalayas, it's quite tall, and the world is pretty tall. It's 23,000 feet tall. I'm uh, out on the border with Tibet in uh, probably October. And then I'm going on to uh, – the season opens up properly down to Antarctica next winter because it's just a fantastic opportunity to get down there. When I say winter, it's summer down there. It's hmm. just our winter.
1: What is summer in Antarctica like?
0: Oh, it's actually, it's just fantastic. There's no kind of c- continent like it on Earth. It's all white. I remember when I published my first book, my publisher said, boy, I'm glad we didn't agree to do a whole book on Antarctica. He goes, because it'd just be black and white. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's true. I'm um, good to have the rest of the six summits in there beyond that. And so, yeah, Antarctica is just a magic place. And it's a great team of people that I go down with the same company, Antarctic Logistics, uh, every year. And this will be my eighth season, I think, down there climbing. And just a remarkable place because humans really can't live there without a lot of support. So it's very much 99% nature and 1% humans. And it's a, it's a great environment to be in. It's really exciting. And then the other thing I found recently is that I've moved out to Dubai and we couldn't travel, my wife and I. And so we've discovered that. I knew nothing about the geography, the geology out here. Like I said, when we were talking earlier, there's amazing adventures out here. And there's seven emirates in the United Arab Emirates, which I didn't know. But they're like different states within a country. And I thought, oh, well, if I can't do the seven summits of the world or go out and guide those, I can do the seven summits of the UAE. So we've started doing those and found them to actually be a very interesting and rather phenomenal challenge and quite a lot harder than we ever expected. So we're slowly working our way through those. And that, um, I'm pretty sure, will be a kind of a world first and a very good kind of COVID lockdown, what to do in your own backyard challenge.
1: Well, congratulations, first of all, the new book um, and on everything that you do. I <laughs> Like I said, it's it's really extraordinary that you've done all these adventures and uh you've survived and you live to tell about it and share share all these experiences with everybody um so i, I appreciate you sharing it with us
0: that's great thank you very much mark it was great to uh, catch up again after too long of an absence but that's one of the joys of i think digital connections and uh, getting back in touch with people you haven't seen or talked to in far too long so thank you very much and very interesting questions i enjoyed the conversation <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to Besides Ads. And thank you, Robert Anderson. We'll end appropriately with an ad for him. Robert can be found at robertmadsanderson.com and explore7summits.com. That's with the numeral seven. Follow him on LinkedIn, or if you're up for it, reach out about following him up a mountain. Besides Ads is brought to you by me, Mark Hartsman. You can see my work at markhartsman.com or follow me on LinkedIn. The theme song was written by Steffi Copeland who's an ACD writer currently based in Toronto. And the logo was designed by Rich Wallace, an art director GCD who, as of this recording, freelances with me. Take a look at richwallace.myportfolio.com. And additional editing and sound design by James Archer. If you like Besides Ads, tell your friends about it. Share it on social, make a TV campaign. You know what to do, you're ad people. And if you want to run an ad, visit besidesads.com for details. We also happily accept donations. Until next time, go make something.